1: It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins
0: Saturday. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30, that's nation O N three zero for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. It's a crazy episode. We're talking with Jason Reed. Uh, he is an outdoor writer. He's an entrepreneur. He is a avid sportsman, avid bow hunter, and just an all-around good guy. And he he sold his first article for $100 or $150 uh, when he was 19 years old. He's 29 now, so he has 10 years of outdoor writing experience. And he talks to us about how content has changed throughout the course of those 10 years but at the same time how experience in the woods has helped him become a better writer and vice versa how his writing has helped him become a better hunter we talk about hunting strategy we talk uh it's an it's a really good uh bs session that's a little bit different from the other bs sessions that we do and i know you guys are going to enjoy it so uh That's all I'm going to say about today's episode. Now, with that said, we got to do some commercials here. And uh, first one, I've already mentioned that I'm that I was uh, I got my trail cameras set up. I got some cell cams set up uh, and we can just kind of ease this transition into Exodus trail cameras, because right now, July 21st to August 11th is Velvet Fest. Right, they do this every year. Uh, you send in pictures and, and tag uh, Velvet Fest on um, all of the all the pictures that you post of Velvet Deer, and these guys are doing a ton of prizes. It says use the use the Velvet Fest hashtag on social to win prizes throughout the online event. We'll be sending out custom shirts to random people that participate. Uh, so there is a whole... Bu- oh, look, look at here. A $1,000 gift card from Exodus. So uh, you can buy a uh, $1,000 worth of trail cameras and they have a whole bunch of different scratch cards that if you order a camera within this range, uh this July 21st to August 11th range, that you can get a scratch-off ticket and these scratch-off tickets range from $25 off to $60 off a camera and you could potentially win a $1000 gift card and a t-shirt, a whole bunch of other stuff. So um it's an awesome time to buy an Exodus trail camera. And like I say, in all every time I talk about Exodus, why do I like using Exodus? I turn them on and they work, period. Like that's it, right? That's what I want from a trail camera. For, for me, it's very simple, right? There's a whole bunch of other complex mumbo jumbo that the company takes care of. I don't really care about that. I just want my trail camera to take pictures when I'm not there. And Exodus does that. And they have a five year no BS warranty. Uh, go to their website to find out more about that. So there's ExodusOutdoorGear.com. They have uh, right now, I think they have three different types of cameras. One of them is a cell cam, uh, and they have a, a solar panel as well. That uh, I think goes with all three of them. So uh, that was ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Now let's go to Ozonics, dude. Ozonics, right? Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say, oh, you don't need Ozonics to go out and hunt. And guess what? You don't. You don't need an Ozonics to go out and be successful in the woods. But I'm telling you what, of all the shit that we buy as for gear as hunters, right? There's a lot of it that is not necessary to kill deer. But for the amount of one of their units you can buy one of your units you don't need like i'm a firm believer and you don't need things like camouflage and you don't need things like crazy expensive camouflage or crazy expensive gear right but what ozonics actually does that has science behind it is that ozone in the air distorts your scent cone and it makes the deer think that you're I don't know, further away or it it confuses their brain or overwhelms their olfactory, right? So it does all these different things to your scent profile that makes them not crazy and blow and run away, right? It allows them to sometimes the reaction is their nose goes up in the air and they sniff around and they're like "Ah, whatever it's not dangerous i'm gonna just keep going sometimes they get curious and sometimes hell they may not even like it but guess what they don't do they don't blow and they don't ruin your entire hunt uh, and that's why i like the in the field use the functionality of ozonics but my my favorite is the ozone application outside in their closet and in their dry wash bags hang my clothes up i could be sweating my balls off in the timber on a hot hunt i and i it stinks like sweat and bo hang it in there run a dry wash cycle i pull it out the next morning or the next afternoon and it's clean as a whistle no scent there's times after i run a a dry wash cycle before i go into an afternoon or a morning hunt and i can feel myself clean like i can feel my clothes are clean and i feel like i'm invisible going into the woods so ozonicshunting.com go and check out the uh uh, go and check out that all the different uh, units that they have all the different accessories they have package deals available as well and where did i put that Ozonics has a discount code nfc21 nfc21 when you purchase one of their units you get a free dry wash bag so nfc21 take advantage of that and last but not least no i got two more yet we got lone wolf portable tree stands, dude i'm not even gonna waste a lot of time here you know i love lone wolf portable tree stands lonewolfhuntingproducts.com i'm a huge fan of the four sticks the hang on though it's uh, american-made mobile hunting gear right their hang-ons are able to balance in a tree you can balance the, the platform and balance your seat even on a crooked tree So it allows you to get in any tree and be comfortable and be quiet while you're setting it up. It's just, dude, it's like an appendage to me. So I think everybody needs to go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com, take a look at all, uh, all the things that they offer. And while you're there, enter the discount code you just decide to buy. 9fc21 9fc21 and you can get uh $50 off of all purchases over $200 so uh, take a look at their alpha take a look at their assault the sticks they even have a climber so uh uh, 9fc21 $50 off all orders over $200 and that's a that's a really good discount so there's that and last but not least exodus no excalibur excuse me my my brain is mush already uh excalibur crossbows now if you're a crossbow guy i would say look no further than excalibur they've been in the game for a very long time and with time in the game comes people who know what the hell they're talking about right and the people over at excalibur are very knowledgeable when it comes to crossbows they have a ton of knowledge behind their design they have a ton of experience behind their design they have great materials uh if you actually want to hear somebody talk about it go to the hunting gear podcast and uh you can listen to the guys from excalibur talk about you know the ins and outs of crossbows now i can't use one here in iowa so i'm I have to use a a compound bow and I love compound bow hunting, but uh, if uh, you got a kid that wants to get started or if you're just looking for a little bit uh, shorter of a learning curve, I think a crossbow could definitely be for you. Uh, So check out ExcaliburCrossbows.com. Again, badass bows made by badass people from badass materials. And uh, you should check out some of their videos they have online where they drop it off of a water tower. They drag it behind a a truck. They put a bolt in it. They shoot it. And it's just still dead nuts center. So uh, take that into consideration too. All right. We've done the commercials. Let's go ahead and uh get right into today's episode with jason reed three two one all right on the phone with me today mr jason reed jason what's up man
1: oh we're hanging in there man it's a uh, beautiful day here in upstate new york in between doing some work and uh shooting my bow yeah doing pretty good so
0: you live uh upstate new york are you on the what lake is that up there uh that borders the northern new york
1: so i live right on lake ontario i grew up i grew up probably about five miles from, from lake ontario and actually interestingly enough the county i grew up in is actually this is the second largest apple producing county in the nation uh right behind um right behind washington and so everyone i knew growing up everyone owned an apple farm um just a lot of really good agriculture because you're really on this on this flood plain um that just has some super super rich soil yeah um so you you get some you you, do tend to get some more midwest like looking deer up up in this region as compared to further south where the where our cabin is.
0: Yeah. Did you ever grow up hunting apple orchards at all?
1: Yeah, I hunted in and around apple orchards all the time. Actually, my very first buck uh was he was feeding underneath uh kind of an abandoned apple tree. And I was uh, 15 and uh they just had his head up in the tree and I'd actually why which was cool about that was like I had watched my dad take a lot of deer out of that stand as a kid. Um, and so yeah, hunting in and around apple orchards, finding abandoned apple orchards or even, you know, commercial apple orchards, um, which just very, uh, if you could get near one of those, especially in you know, early to mid October, I mean, you were, you were going to see a lot of deer.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So what do you do for a living?
1: So what I do for a living is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, have a couple of small e-commerce businesses, um, but I've also, you know, the, mostly deal with uh, pet supplies, pet nutrition. But I've also been in the outdoor industry for for ten years. I, I've I've been a worked as a writer, a content producer um, in and around the industry for a long time. Uh, sold my first article when I was nineteen, uh, when I was in college, and 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 I, honestly, like my junior and senior year in college, I was filling my gas tank with blogging money and you know sold my, i remember selling my first print article and my my, my writing professor was kind of she, she couldn't believe it because i wasn't a writing major but i figured out how to sell articles and and and, and i'm really a communicator I, I love being able to get on the phone with people and and, and find solutions and find sales opportunities and I, just, I figured out how to sell articles and i sold this article about turkey hunting and um And it was just really funny the day that I showed up with a print article and a hundred fifty dollars check, and and the class couldn't believe me. So, but I'm also I've 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 worked in a lot of different industries though, and right now I'm I'm actually also working as a bartender, uh, uh, nights and weekends. It's kind of fun, a little bit change of pace. So, just I've been involved in startup businesses for the last five years, um, while also being a being a freelance writer and producer and and um so i do a little bit of everything and uh just trying to make my way in the world and yeah doing what i can doing what i can because i really i've got this weird thing about me where i really don't like being told what to do during hunting season yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me that's a fact man. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm willing to do what i'm willing to take the pain right i mean we're you know especially when you're entrepreneurial i mean you, there's a certain amount of pain that comes with that and i'm willing to go through that um, because you know, you, me and your, your listeners well know there are certain days you have to be there and, yeah. um, there's nothing worse than when, uh, somebody else that doesn't understand hunting or understand the calendar, um, uh, is in control of your, your vacation schedule. So, yeah. um, it's not always the easiest road, but you know, look, as a bow hunter, and I've said this to other people too, it's like, as a bow hunter, like we are trained for, very difficult situations. So what might be difficult and overwhelming to some people, I feel like as bow hunting has really conditioned the business side
0: of my brain as well
1: to, to be able to really take on challenges and not be overwhelmed by that. Yeah. Uh, So,
0: yeah. And the, the analytical thinking and the, uh, you know, of the, the process that goes into it. And I think that's one thing that my wife absolutely hates about me is I'm, I'm pretty analytical about my thought, my, my thought process when it comes to like how the household should be run and how (laughs) the, uh, and and how the finances, you know, should be budgeted and stuff like that. And then I, you know, I'm the same exact way when it comes to the woods, like I'm thinking about every step and I correct myself and all this stuff. And, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it can be, it can be tough. Especially um, on, I'll just share this. I'll just share this. Are you married? Do you have any kids?
1: No, I'm. I am I'm, I'm not married.
0: Okay. Well, then maybe I won't share that. What well, I guess what. I, so you're a <laughs> you're you're a free man at this point. Like you can go and do whatever you want, whenever you want, no problems.
1: And, and that's why I buy an elk tag every year. And I've been buying mildo tags every year because there will be some day where that can't happen. Yeah. How, how old There's are you advantage of it i'm 29
0: okay 29 all right yeah i was uh i was still wild at 29 uh and wild and free i guess you would say uh but <laughs> so so writing i want to talk about writing um how many yep. so it was roughly 10 years ago when you sold your mm. first your first article when it comes to writing yep. these days you know everybody wants to get their foot in the door when it comes to the the hunting industry everybody wants to mix their yep. their passion and their, uh um i guess pleasure and business everybody wants that yep. um when it comes to riding in your opinion how has being a outdoor rider changed in the last 10 years
1: oh gosh i think i can um i think i can speak to it in, in a couple of ways and, I, and it may be you know, maybe other writers and, and other colleagues in the industry might have a different view of it. Um, but this is just purely off the base of what I've seen. Um, and I've seen, n- not in a bad way, just kind of the reality of business and reality of, of what you know where the world is. I've seen a commoditization, frankly, of writing. And so jobs that I used to get paid $500 or $1,000 for, five even five years ago um those same opportunities you know i was getting paid you know or the offers are are substantially less um there was even a fishing article that you know some fishing work that came up uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was like two cents a word for 1500 words and i'm like i'm not i'm not going to spend my time for 30 dollars you know what i mean so yeah. um I would say that that's been one of the biggest things that as content, you know, especially with the advance of the digital age and it's again, it's just part of how markets work, but that's one of the biggest things that I've, I've really seen.
0: The other thing that
1: I've seen too, that it really is for anyone that wants to get into it. um, And, and other people might be even better off than I am. um, But because like when I started, social media content was still very small. Nobody knew what to do with it. Frankly, there was only a handful of people that really had it figured out. Um, our mutual buddy, you know, Mark, can he, 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 I feel like he had a pretty good grasp on it early on. I remember, you know, talking with him and, and seeing all of his stuff early on and it was just, there was, there, was, there was something different about it. Um, and it's, I think now like people are really looking for more of it's, it's not just a written article you need to be able to produce good social content. Um, and again, as somebody came up more as a writer, um, it's, 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 it's a little, you know, I've done video before, but you got to be more prepared to come with the photos, the videos, and the written stuff, um, for, for the brand, let's call it the brand publication use in their social feeds. Right. So I think that's really the the big difference is just what exactly people are wanting, and then I think you know, and obviously if you can produce more of what you need from the social side, I think you know that payment will change. Um, but those are really kind of the two things, the two big things that I've seen change yeah. over the last decade. Yeah. So it may, some people might have a different opinion, and you know, I I, I love business theory and business discussions and, and you know, happy to hear other people's success stories. But at least that's, you know, what I've seen over the last 10 years.
0: Yeah. One thing that I, one reason that I stopped writing cause I was writing for mm-hmm. uh, a handful of magazines and uh, some blogs yep. and my own blog and I kind of just got burnt out because everybody, and, you know, and, and after running my own, uh, after running my own type of uh, blog, you would see that and it, everybody wants to read the articles about how to kill, you know, like 10 ways to kill a buck during the rut, yeah. or 10 ways to do scouting. And so what, what we see is this mass repetition of content. And it may not be word for word repetition, but I'm telling you right now, it's the same article repackaged every year. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. retitled and all that stuff, and so when I would bring an article to the table, they would say, "Yeah, that's awesome, but we need to call it something else, and we need to do something else with it." And I'm just like, uh, yeah. "I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do yeah. those type that type of content." So I got burnt out for from writing the same yeah. articles over and over and over again, and I was just like, "You know what? I'd rather do this digital podcasting where I can talk about." hunting the rut but I can talk with 30 different people about it and talk to them about their stories and peel back way more layers in a one-on-one interview whether it's hunting strategy or this person's life than an article that's just step one set up a tree stand step two Mm -hmm. grunt at them you know like that kind of it just it became boring to me and I decided hey this this isn't for me anymore
1: yeah and and to build on that like and again, you have, especially when you're talking about a, pub, a major publication, they've got their people that they really, you know, that are in line before you and yeah. me to, to write that piece, you know? And, and, and again, that's, you know, God bless those people who, who've earned that right. That's right. The, the 10 ways to hunt a scrape. Um, you, you guys earned it. Um. But uh, I say I I echo your thoughts there. And and there's just a lot of other, you know, and that's been the good thing about the way that, 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 you know, content marketing has changed um, is that you can have a little more flexibility and kind of own that journey a little more. I'm not the most technical guy in the world. um, And I probably should have started podcasting 10 years ago, frankly, Um, but I, I, I I didn't. So, um, but again, there, there are ways to do it. And I think my advice to people, and, and we can get off of business, but the one piece of advice I'd give to people, if they want to get into the industry through content, but you can get in on the sales side. Like that's a whole side of things that I only ever really scratched the surface of. But if you want to get in on the marketing side, because you know we're all trying to chase the passion, chase freedom and life, etc. understand, I implore you to understand the revenue model behind selling content and monetizing content, especially in this industry to so study it, you know, started as a hobby and try to sell some freelance stuff and really study how you open up that revenue stream for yourself. Um, and, uh, cause, cause that's one thing I've seen a lot of people not have an understanding of, as they, you know, chase it. And I mean, I, pro- I didn't really have a great understanding when I started as a college kid, but it really became apparent that, you know, you're getting paid through the advertising budget, you know, which is a couple of steps removed from the sale of the product. So, yeah, but it can be done and, and there's a lot of people that have done it and there's uh, it's a, it's a great industry to be involved in.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this, uh, when it comes to content, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, content now is deeper than it was 10 years ago. It's deeper than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? It's gone from just writing. So now we have podcasts, we have social media, we have videos, we have, you know, YouTube, we, and then we have the television side of things. We're like, there's, there's all this different varieties of, of quote unquote content that hunters absorb. Yep. And I think as the digital side of things starts to, con, or continues to expand, we have a younger generation of content providers, like younger age yep. groups doing it. Here's my, here's my kind of problem with that. All right. So. I'm 40 years old, and I really only have about, I mean, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old, right? So that's 38 years of hunting under my belt. I'm not going to say that uh, theres I've had experience, you know, I've I've experienced in that, but there's even 10 years of that where I was just kind of going through motions and not doing anything, uh, whatever, right? So I'm going to say that I have right around 20 years of hunting experience. And when I say experience, I mean, I can provide examples. I can talk in detail. I can, you know, do all of these things. Now, when a 20 year old decides he wants to go onto Instagram and, uh, say, Hey, here's uh, here's how you should do this. Or here's uh, ways to do this. Um, what, what are your thoughts on age and, uh, and an activity like hunting where experience and lots of experience really does matter.
1: That's a good question. I think what you're seeing a lot of is, I think it's a, I think from almost from an ambassadorship type standpoint, it's like people that, that are young, that are creating content hunting, the enthusiasm is awesome. And, and I think we should welcome it mm-hmm. because, and a lot of times here's, here's the other, and here's why I say that because, I think with guys like you and me have been doing this for way over 20 years, um, Yeah, that sometimes, like, maybe we scare people off. Maybe we scare people off, with, with, with but, but you have people that are just getting into it. They're maybe three, four, five years into it, and they're just so excited because they're experiencing these things for the first time, and they're able yeah. to talk in a way to somebody who might be a teenager, might be 12, 13 years older, or just coming up through it, maybe interested in it, that they can see this 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 level of enthusiasm that yeah. that you and I might take for granted. So I think it's a good thing. And, and look, let's, let's be honest. Like it's 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 hunting. Like it's we're here to have a great time doing yeah. it. As much as we are intense about it. So if we can have show that that there's an authenticity, uh, surrounded surrounding it, then then then, then great. Now, look, are, is, is somebody who's two years into it going to be able to? If you, you know, tell you exactly how to hunt a specific scenario. Maybe, maybe not, but they could tell you how they screwed up. Yeah, and if they know how to do that, like that's almost as valuable. Uh, especially the people that are just getting into it. Whereas, like you and I, we might not think about, we might never think to talk about a mistake because it's just like ah, they did that again. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. So I think. So I understand what you're saying, and and, and it's like, you know, I. There's just, there's a whole generation, even like I said, I'm only 29, but I, you know, there are people that are way better with social media and communicating, using it for communication than I am. Um, so if you can, you know, help spread that message and, 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 and show the joy and the mistakes, you know, because that's what I've told some other of my friends of mine that, I, you know, I'm helping to you know mentor through hunting and they're, they're super timid to go out in the wood and make mistakes. I'm like, no, go screw up.
0: You know, it's okay.
1: Like, go, go mess up. Go blow that, go blow deer out. You'll figure that you'll learn, you know?
0: So, yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's more of a, a statement. My stepbrother right. found a whole bunch of old magazines from the fifties and sixties. Um, they were all outdoor magazines. They talked about fishing and they talked about hunting strategy and things like that. And it might—they might have even gone into the '70s. This old man—he passed away, but he saved all of his hunting and fishing magazines. And he went through and he started reading—you know, reading about, uh, you know, reading some of these articles. And it was crazy, right? About all these things and strategies that, you know, Hey, you need to, you know, you need to sit on a field edge and, and, and wait for the deer to come. And that that was pretty much every strategy that anybody ever talked about or, you know, that kind of stuff. No one back then was doing the detailed stuff that we are, you know, that we're, that we talk about now. And, uh, it just kind of, it kind of made me think it's simpler back. It was simpler back then. But I think as a content provider, they could get away with a lot more um, inaccuracies in their writing than they can today because there's so much more known about the science behind whitetails and deer movement and, and all that stuff. And it just kind of it just kind of caught me funny. And you know, all the covers, nobody was wearing mm-hmm. camouflage; everybody was wearing flannel w- way back then. And uh, I I don't think it was. I don't think people started wearing camo until they got back from some war. And I'm not sure what war it was. I want to say World War II. Everybody got back from uh, war and they started wearing camo. So everything before that, you know, everything before World War II was all just like overalls and and stuff. And people seemed to be having the same success. So uh, I don't know. All those those things really just... uh, are kind of funny and interesting to me
1: yeah no I, I i hear what you're saying i i also think that there is a uh a, a different sense of woodsmanship with the older generations that we may or may not have in in today's generation absolutely absolutely um, so i think that's probably part of it i also think yeah science and understanding the science behind animals and animal movements certainly Know, part of it, um, uh, you know, that, that changes, you know, once we understand things and, you know, and yeah, and, and, and the marketing of hunting products really wasn't the same at that time either. So there wasn't a, you know, I think that probably has had had some, some to do with it as, as well, yeah. you know, cause it really, you know, back then, nobody really cared if you shot up six point, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so um, and you really didn't start to see this, at least in my, you know, and I actually, not that we're talking about it, I actually wrote my entire senior thesis in college about the uh, advancement of communication in the hunting industry.
0: I wrote like,
1: I don't know, something stupid, like 55 pages. <laughs> and it was only like a 20, it was only a 20 page assignment for the thesis. And I was like, 55 pages later, my I get an email from my, my, my advisor. I'm like, are you done yet? <laughs> but <laughs> You know, but really, like when people, I you know, really started to see the 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 tactics of it coming into play when you started to see, you know, the the, the advancements in hunting companies like your Realtors and your Mossy Oaks and and um, and people wanting to have that same level of success they saw on TV, not not really realizing like there's a big difference between upstate New York and and Iowa, massive difference, you know, but. You know, I think that, that that probably had something to do with it. So, yeah. Um, but it's always, fun, you know, what though? Here's the thing: it's always fun to read those oh, yeah. read perspectives. Oh yeah. You know, uh, from from the past, and and I still think that there's there's always a lot of value there because um, because it's really a lot of that stuff. I I think you know, those that generation had a better sense of woodsmanship than than we, than we do. Yeah. Um, and just working with the flow of the woods, and and, and I, I know some people that are my age that are incredible woodsman I mean, yeah. incredible um and you're just inspired by every time like you're a throwback from some other era man yeah so.
0: yeah yeah getting down looking at print saying okay he weighs about 240 pounds and he's walking east and this morning for breakfast he had uh like 40 acorns <laughs> you know like that kind of yeah. woodsmanship you know what i mean
1: yeah. And just being able to read the land and yeah. have an understanding of how the animals really use it, um, is one of the biggest differences. And anyone who's, who, anyone who's young the, and, you, and who's listening to this, that's what I would encourage you to really, uh, uh, to really try and, and think about is like, okay, how, how are the deer going to use, how are they using the land? Yeah. Um, as you can save yourself a lot of years of pain and struggle, If you start, if you ask yourself that question.
0: Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, You said your first article was when you were 19 and your first, did you say your first buck was when you were 15?
1: Yep. So uh, I I shot my first buck when I was 15. Yep.
0: All right. So you had, you had four years of actually killing deer under your belt before you started writing, right? How has your... Writing changed as your hunting strategy um, as you've gained more experience.
1: That's a that's a that's a great question. um So I'll say this: like I think I explained it when we met at Poma a couple weeks ago. Like my dad started taking me hunting when I was two, and so I really grew up in the throes of just being trying to be as close and involved to the strategy as possible. Like I wanted to be one of the guys. Um, yeah, there was a lot of things that changed between, um, uh, when I was 15, and when I was 19, when because it's a whole different world. When yep. you, you actually sit with a gun or a bow. Uh, I think what's really changed. I, you know, I think my questions when I'm trying to, you know, interview somebody have just become better. Um, but I'll be honest with you though, a lot of the articles that I've written, um, I've done a lot of stuff with you know reviewing products. I've done a lot of you know inner just general interviewing stories and not just for Deer Um, but I mean, I've interviewed sports stars and people from all over the world that you know some of these trade shows. So I think just really trying to ask better questions, and that kind of parlays into being you know working having worked in sales in different roles is like you really learn how to ask better questions to uh, flip over some nugget of knowledge. Um, and so I think between the time I was 19 and now my grammar's definitely got a whole heck of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think, yeah. I just think, uh, dude, I've got freaking scars on my back from editors yelling at me and, um, and whatnot. But, uh, I think that's really what is just trying to learn, you know, understanding how to ask better questions to, to somebody. Um, And, uh, you know, sometimes with an article too, like you feel like, and I remember this as a kid, like when I was as a kid, I remember in those early, those first couple of years, like I would try to be, I tried to make an article, all things right. And so just like, you can make 800 words out of a single thing, you know, as long as you follow, you know, you know, build your questions out ahead of time and, 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 and go and execute on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The more, you know, the more, you know, basically, you know what I mean? And you can, you can flip a statement into a question real easy. And that's, that's where, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the own, on my own back, but I think that's one thing that I'm fairly good at in, in mine is having experience to back up the question and and being able to peel back an additional layer of, uh, of information. Like when, when you ask someone why you did something, but then like, well, why did you do that? Then why did you do that? You know, like being able to go multiple levels deep. And when someone can do that based off the experiences that they've had, man, that just makes whatever, whatever they're doing really good.
1: Well, especially when you think about in terms of teaching new hunters, younger hunters, being able to bring in that scenario that as a real life scenario to help with their question um, makes teaching so much more, uh, valuable to them. Yeah. And that is like, you know, I've got friends, like I said, I got friends that are two, three years into, into this thing and they ask a question, I'm telling a story in order to, in, in order to help them understand, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and why we're approaching something the way we're approaching it. Yeah. Cause it's not even sometimes even hunting, even doing something for the sake of doing something. It's, why are we going to approach it from this angle?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. All right. So, you know, a lot of outdoor riding, a lot of out, uh, experience in, in the content. But was there a time where maybe you were struggling as a hunter uh, and then all of a sudden you had, like, I, I, I always like to hear people's aha moments, whether it's one aha moment, like you're in the woods and you're going it just clicks for you that year. And you're just like, Oh my God, how did I not realize I was doing this specific thing wrong for all those years? And I screwed up and now I figured it out. And then it just, it became, I guess, easier for you. Did you, was, was yours one big aha moment or did you have several aha moments?
1: I think it's always a, a, a lot of, a lot of little aha moments that are actually
0: big. Um,
1: because you're always building that que- You're always building those questions you had and you're falling back on the experience. You know what I mean? But the answer to answer that question very specifically, um, I, I did have a fairly large, um, aha moment. Um, because so from the time I was 17, to the time I was 21, um, I'd only shot two bucks. And one of them was a massive buck. And I'll, I'll tell that story later. But what I was doing, I was getting going to does. You know what I mean? But I was watching my, one of my best friends in the world. He was shooting five sixty 6 deer a year off the ground with his bow. And I was like, I was really struggling. And, and the guy I referenced is a really good woodsman. And what I realized, what I was doing wrong, um, was I was looking at the woods too big. I was looking way too broad. I was thinking about a ridgeline. I was thinking about the whole ridgeline. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about my pinch point. Why am I hunting this spot? And so um, there was always this book floating around our house called Mapping Trophy Bucks by Brad, uh, I can't remember his last name, Brad Hendon. But it basically talks about talking or hunting topographical lines. And that's when the wheels really started to turn. And then when I started, when I got back to going elk hunting and that's what you're really relying on is topo lines and your GPS, that's when everything changed for me because then I started to look at the world a lot smaller. Um, And I can tell you with absolute certainty that my encounter percentage of quality deer in bow range has over the last, well, probably the last, at least the last seven years, has just skyrocketed. Because yeah. now I'm looking. At, I'm looking at. I will go in completely blind. I lived in Missouri for three years. I didn't have any private land at all. All I had was public and a climber, and I was consistently getting in bow range of walking in sometimes completely in the dark, blind. Consistently getting into bow range because I was just I was I was looking at the world differently. Instead of looking super broad, and I think that's the one thing that changed between my you know teens and early twenties, and as I'm going into my you know into my thirties here, is is just looking at the trying to trying to break down the world a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, and 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 I could I could tell you with absolute certainty that that is that was really my 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 light bulb moment was trying to just just don't look so big, look small.
0: Yeah. Man, that that's some great advice. That a lot of people, man, they they that, that was the problem that I had when I was younger. I was like, "Hey man, I need to knock yep. on the 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 farmers. I'd I'd go to the courthouse, I'd get a plat book for like 3 bucks, and I would yep. sit there and I would go, "You know what? I got to find the guy who owns the 1000 acres and I need to knock on his door or the guy who owns the 800 acres and knock on his door." Well, I quite I learned really fast that all those places had people hunting already. So I would drop down to the twenties, the forties, you know, and I, then I'm there, you know, I'm on these twenties and forties, maybe an 80 piece or, or, you know, an 80 acre piece or whatever. And guess what? They still have deer running in those places too. Right. There's a 90 acre piece that is by far one of the best uh, properties that I've ever hunted in my entire life. And, uh, uh, it was only this 90 acres with three little fingers in it, and majority of it was CRP field. And I ran into some of the biggest deer in my life in that in this little acreage. It's since been sold and and you know moved on, and I don't have permission on that piece anymore. But it that like I don't know, I was able on those to really focus on those three fingers because I'm not going to hunt in the middle of a CRP field, right? So mm-hmm. it it kind of forced me. To think at a much smaller scale like the deer are coming out of here and they're going into here and I have to be on that line somewhere right somewhere whether it's close to their bedding or close to the destination food source or on a pinch point and it made me hyper focus on these terrain features and wind direction and you know, allowed me to be forced me basically to be more observant. And that is what just happened with you, man. I started getting encounters with more deer and bigger deer and more mature bucks. And, uh, and, and that's all that kind of snowballed into where I'm at today.
1: Yeah. It's a powerful place to be once you really start reading those topo lines.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's,
1: and when you have that realization, um, that just because you might be on 15 acres doesn't mean you're not hunting hard. Yeah. Uh, because I, I mean, take it from me. I, my biggest Turkey came off of three acres and my biggest buck came off of 15. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's what I encourage young guys to do is read, know how to read your topo lines and get a climber. Yeah. You know, and be mobile. Yeah. Um, so you can just adjust, adjust, adjust until you figure out what's working.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So, um, that was one of your aha moments. Um, when it, when it comes to deer behavior, you know, like there's, there's this, uh, when you win a championship, they say, act like you've been there before, right. In, mm-hmm. in the moment of truth, you got to act like you've been there before. Right. And, and there's been times where I have not acted like I've been there before. The excitement got the best of me and I missed a shot or I put a bad shot on a deer or I over, mm-hmm. overcalled, or, uh, froze and didn't do didn't do anything when I may have had a shot opportunity there you know all those bad worst yeah. case scenarios um do you have any type of those experiences where you were uh I don't know you failed but then you realized you failed and then you turned around and then came back from that and and ended up getting the job done
1: oh yeah yeah there was uh <laughs> All right, so one time I like, love
0: that uh, you're laughing at this point. Like you're laughing because it's you're about to embarrass yourself.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like it's not it's not one time. It's like okay, which one? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that's the great thing is it's like, and that's a great thing I try to tell tell younger younger hunters. It's like, like just enjoy enjoy screwing up. Like it's frustrating at the moment, but you're like you're gonna you're gonna uh, like just cherish each failure because it's real, like, it's not a failure. It's really not. So the, one of the times that I screwed up really bad and it was one of those weird Indian summer, um, weather stretches in November, it was like 70 degrees and, and where I used to work, I, um, I used to work out uh, for this industrial ingredients company. So I could hunt in the mornings for, I could hunt the shoulders of the day. And frankly, that's how I do most of my hunting anyways. First two hours before work, two hours afterward. Um, uh, and I just remember, like, I was struggling to see deer because it was so hot. Um, and I was, I had found this, um, kind of by accident, sl- and kind of by reading a topo map, there was some little feature, I remember, on the, on the line, like, I need to walk to the very back line of this piece I permission on and just check it out. I found this overgrown swamp. And it was, it was crazy. Like, I saw, I saw, you're not supposed to hunt your spot, like, every day. Like, I know that's kind of taboo. There was new deer in this thing every single day during the peak of the rut. It was crazy. But I do remember at one point I saw this doe coming my way. And behind her is a, is a beautiful 10 point. And I, I, mean, I must have been crap. I, know I was 22 maybe. And so I, I should have just not done anything. And they probably would have walked by me. Um, I hit my can thinking like, oh, I gotta get his attention and uh, try to draw him this way. And that doe looked at me seventy yards away and was like, "I'm going the other direction." And took that buck with her. So I've—it's really tempting to pick up your call when you see a deer. Um, I've come to learn like be easy on it it's got to be the right situation yeah. if you want to, you know, if you want, if you're going to do that. And in that particular situation, I'm like, I'm not doing that again. If I got to do, if I, if they're, if, if, if their movement is in my general direction, keep your hand on your bow. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what other,
0: I'll share a quick I'm one. Sure. I'll I'm... share a quick one with you. Yeah. yeah. Go for it. Um, go for it. <laughs> I was, God, I was, it was back in the day when I was filming for white knuckle productions and, uh, yep. Uh, i the the night before i had a giant on this ridge top. i was hunting a river bottom and i saw him up on this ridge top, and i was like okay he's heading that way i'm gonna go hunt this uh i'm gonna go hunt this place where i know they're standing corn still and it was uh mid mid november and so we're sitting there and all of a sudden we see this deer creeping through the the woods there'd been a couple other does that had come by us and uh, they were they were walking right underneath of me so i i had one of these great thermal situations where the thermals i had a south wind and thermals and the deer were actually coming to the north side of me but the thermals were p- pulling the scent up and just coasting it way out into the into the field well yeah. all these deer all afternoon are just cruising right in front of me right in front of me right in front of me and then um we're see in the timber, we see this deer heading our way, pops out. It's like a 180 12 pointer. Just an absolute giant animal. And mm. um it's coming right for me. And it stops dead in its tracks. And it was that point right there where new like old Dan Johnson was like. Oh, God, he caught something. He caught the scent. Because I think what happened is, well, number one, my Ozonics batteries had died in that long set, And I didn't have any uh, ozone going in the air. Number two, um, the thermals had changed because the sun had since gone behind the trees. And everything was in shade yeah. now. So my thermals, my thermals were kind of dropping. So it could have been a combination yeah. of a lot of things. Anyway, that buck ended up... Freezing. I mean, the video shows him basically hitting a brick wall and he stops and he instantly starts turning around. So what did I do? I just went through every sequence of calling. I did the one. (laughs) I did the rattling sequence. I did the tending deer, snort wheezed at him. him. I did. I did (laughs) everything. And this buck was looking around like, what the hell is going on? He was, he was probably about He was probably about 50 yards. Um, and uh, it was it was crazy, and, and and that was the last time I have ever called at a deer that I know has busted me. So, right, you know, you, it's just one. It's just that type of learning experience that you pick up, and sometimes, sometimes those learning experiences hurt just a little bit more than others.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. You know what though? That's that's, and again, you for anyone that's young that's listening, you're going to take that, you're going to put it in your repertoire of questions you're going to ask yourself and you're going to get to a point if you're, especially if you're paying attention to the questions you need to be asking yourself, you're going to get to a point where you're able to size up a day, a time and a scenario and you're going to be able to get yourself into a situation, you know, into a good situation. Um, and then that becomes, that's where it kind of becomes fun once you've been doing this for so long. It's like, because you're asking yourself these, these really, although they seem like minor questions, but you're, you're, that's where your brain is going for how your brain is moving and spinning. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun to, to evolve as a deer hunter.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. So New York is kind of where you you cut your teeth at. Um, where uh, where else have you spent uh, a lot of time uh, hunting? Yeah.
1: So and when I talk about New York, like I said, I live, grew up on on the lakeshore, so you have big agriculture. But my my actually my primary the the, the piece of the land that really shapes me to be who I am is right on the border of uh, Pennsylvania and New York, and so that's massive woods, big big blocks of timber um big Appalachian type uh hunting and so when I like I, like I said I, I actually I lived in Missouri for three years and that was wild because you know I just having the volume of deer that I saw was it was just a treat I didn't know what to do with myself sometimes I'm like this is just awesome <laughs> you know any any average buck that steps out and you're like oh well that's a if I were back home in New York, I'd probably shoot you right now. Um, you know so I spent you know, spent three years there I and mean, I just saw some beautiful deer. Um but I've also spent, you know, most of my time uh my out of state hunting has actually been for, for elk. Um been really, really blessed that uh, that I have a chance to, you know, some really good friends that um live in Oregon and uh we've been you know, my dad's been hunting out there for you know, since the early two thousands. And, and, um, you know, once I graduated college, I was like, you're not going without me. So I would say, you know, that's probably where I've spent the, the majority, the, the share of my you know extra time and money is going on that trip. But, and that trip has made me a better deer hunter, um, because it's forced me to, 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 to learn how to read topography better. Yeah. Um, but I did get, into, I got into mule deer hunting a couple of years ago, um, done a, you know, rifle hunts, some bow hunts. And, um, you know, even though it's not white tails, it, it still teaches you little things about, you know, animals and, and forces you to become a better bow hunter. Um, and, um, so I'd like to, obviously I'd like to hunt more in other places. Um, that's why I'm trying to, trying to build my own company yeah. so I can go and do that.
0: Yeah so so pennsylvania uh new york you've you've dab you know dabbed into the mule deer side of things as well um mm-hmm. any other states outside of those
1: um so yeah so i've hunted the other places i've hunted hunted in texas a couple of times um on some uh used to do some work with um some some folks in the industry, and so I got to go down and hunt hunt down there for whitetails. That was an interesting experience, um, but that's really it. Um, haven't haven't hunted really anywhere else for um, for whitetail, um, and then out west, just been working in, in Dakotas have, have been my only other places. So yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I feel like you know once you once you get the once you get the, those instincts down, you can go. You can go just about anywhere, especially for whitetails, yeah. and and be able to make it happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, that and that's where I'm I'm aiming myself to be right now. So I am I definitely want to kill a mule deer. I definitely want to kill whitetails uh, or uh, excuse me, elk. Those two are are next on my bucket list, so to speak. I haven't I haven't hmm. crossed the whitetail boundary yet. I'm still, you know, I'm still in the whitetail world, but I like, mm-hmm. I want to kill a mule deer buck so bad. And I want to kill a bull elk so bad. Those are, those are two things that I, I'm really focused on in the next five years per se. Um, it's magical. <laughs> that, and spreading my wings in the, the whitetail game, like hunting different states, mm-hmm. hunting big woods, yep. uh, hunting, uh, flat land, you know, or not. Not the same as Iowa. And honestly, Iowa has a couple different options when it comes to, like, Iowa in the northeast section of the state along the Mississippi River. There's a lot of big, big woods up in in there as well. Uh, Not like the UP of Michigan or northern Wisconsin or, uh, you know, northern, uh, you know, some of the, the other northern states. And also, I want to kind of try Nebraska on for size again where it's wide open you know, whitetail type hunting as well. So, and I'm a firm believer that yes, every scenario is different, right? So um, uh, for, for me coming from Iowa, trying to give anybody advice who hunts big woods in Ohio or Pennsylvania or New York or whatever, uh, there might not be a direct correlation, but I feel that the, the principles of how deer operate and how they make their, their decisions are are more on the same then they are different, if that makes sense.
1: Mm. No, they, they definitely are. And I think the one thing to even build on that, this is where, this is the, kind of like going back to those aha moments, um, to build on this point is, yeah, the principles of deer hunting don't change too much. Um, but I had, one of the things I had to do is I had to adjust my expectations for the types of land I was hunting. Absolutely. And that that increased my joy in hunting tenfold because I didn't realize that all these TV shows on the outdoor channel were coming from the Midwest. Like, and so I was, you know, yeah, there's a reason why I shot two bucks in eight years when I was younger, because I was waiting paid off (laughs) after a while. But, you know, uh, that was the biggest deer I've ever seen. Uh, It took half a lifetime hunting to get there. Um, but once I, once I, once I started hunting the land I was hunting for what the land was worth, oh my gosh, you know, you you just, all that pressure goes away. Um, and then you're just focusing on what is the value of this hunt? Well, you got yourself in a position, you made a game plan, you executed the game plan and you punched a tag or you just, you've gotten bow range. And like, my dad and I will do this to each other every year. We're like, all right, so how many, how many catch and release do you have this year? Oh, I'm at 15. How many you at? <laughs> so, you know, you know, you just, so just enjoying where you're at yeah. and, and the land you're at. is just, you know, if you're not doing that and then, then, then you're missing the, 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 the principles of hunting. Yeah.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Jason, man, Hey, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to just sit here and BS with me for a while. I uh, will have to have you on again, uh, you know, later. Definitely. And, uh, BS about a little bit more strategy type talk because I know you were really wanting to get into that today we just kind of uh, skimmed the surface on that and uh, so again man uh, thank you for your time not a problem
1: thank you for having me
0: all right everybody before I get into all of the other type of uh, you know all of the other type of outro here I just want to say thank you um, it means a lot to me that you guys are continuously downloading and listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Man, really appreciate it. Tell your friends about it, okay? Um, so I don't have a very I don't have a very search engine optimized name that doesn't have the word hunt or bow hunt in it. And that that could be my fault, but I'll tell you this: um, the content that you're going to listen to on this podcast is second to none, in my opinion. That that may be me being arrogant but I feel that the average Joe's telling their stories have a lot to offer the the, the other people who listen to this podcast so so uh, you know share it tell your friends make some posts tag us in your social post on Instagram whenever you're listening to this tag. The nine finger chronicles and on instagram and facebook and uh let's grow this community even more than what it's already grown so first off thank you second a uh, huge shout out to all the partners of the nine finger chronicles uh, podcast and that is Ozonics, that is lone wolf exodus excalibur wasp vortex and hunt stand please go out and support the companies that support this podcast be sure you're following on instagram and facebook uh, and the youtube channel right so uh got to follow on the youtube channel and other than that uh on the sportsman's nation youtube channel that's where the nine finger kitchen is uh is coming out and then last but not least man be kind to your neighbor good vibes in good vibes out wear your tree harness and we'll talk to you next time Music